0: The Blood Flow Restriction Podcast is brought to you by Saga, a world leader in innovative BFR technology. For more information on our Bluetooth-enabled auto-calibrating BFR cuffs, head over to our website at saga.fitness. And if you'd like to pick up a set for yourself, you can save 20% with the discount code BFRpodcast. On today's episode of the Blood Flow Restriction Podcast, we welcome Joshua Setledge, Josh is a strength coach with a directed focus in the combat sport arena, and more specifically with jiu-jitsu athletes. He's a jiu-jitsu competitor himself and someone who has years of experience building stronger and more physically capable athletes on the mat. During his time in academia, he spent considerable time diving into the physiological demands of the sport of jiu-jitsu, and he did a fantastic job of outlining much of that in this episode some of the topics that we get into include the role that size and strength play in the sport of jiu-jitsu dominance how to manage resistance training without compromising performance on the mat Uh, we talked about the specific benefits of blood flow restriction in the sport of jiu-jitsu and how josh applies bfr with his athletes we got into some practical uh, protocol discussion etc and much more so, without any further ado, let's jump right into my discussion with
1: Joshua Settlidge. I, I think that sometimes the issue, and we can even I can repeat as much of this as you'd like uh, once we officially get started. But I think in jujitsu, there is almost like a a weird stereotype of just standard, basic, tried and true strength and conditioning techniques and resources, and a big shift to just look at all of the the shiny stuff that either doesn't have like the best application for jujitsu athletes or it came out of another sport or it came out of another industry that's like okay well yeah that could benefit jiu-jitsu athletes a little bit but it's really not gonna do that much for you and i'd say what's been awesome about what you guys have done especially with blood flow restriction training as a whole is that is one of those things that on the surface, it does look like new and exciting and has like some pizzazz factor to it. But the practical application specifically for Jiu Jitsu is absolutely huge because of just the nature of the sport, not just jujitsu, but with wrestling also, the nature of grappling sports where the pump that someone gets the first time they try Jiu Jitsu, the first time they try wrestling, even if they're in great shape is indescribable. And you can't really recreate any of that style of training unless you're using BFR or you're doing jujitsu. And then the, applica- the the practical applications that that has is absolutely incredible. So it's just awesome to see that, you know, hopefully over the coming years that more and more jujitsu athletes will be able to adopt some of this stuff, which can help them get stronger, help them improve performance, decrease risk of injury, and all that good stuff.
0: It's funny to hear you say that, talking about kind of replicating the the feeling that you get one of your first times out on the mat. Um, or there's a UFC fighter we're working with right now. And she, she sent us a video of her training in the cuffs and she said she'll wear them when she's shadow boxing, which I thought okay. was kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, you know, it's probably not like a use case you'd see, but she's like it, for me, it just replicates that, that feeling. Like, I think every fighter knows the feeling of all of a sudden your legs are not underneath you anymore. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I think to some degree, even if it's, a, a, you know, a psychological thing, just feeling like you can replicate that feeling without too much output. Because, of course, if you want to get that feeling in your legs, you can jump on an assault bike and just crank. Um, But that's, I think, part of the interesting conversation that I want to have with you is jujitsu athletes the, the technical and tactical, you gotta get better at your sport. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's the energy demand of getting better at the actual sport means that things like strength, conditioning, and, and even, um, direct conditioning, sometimes they're gonna suffer more than if, if, you know, powerlifting or, or, you know, strength building was your primary goal. Um, so how do you think about balancing those two, because, and I want to get specifically into like how strength impacts uh, grappling sports, but how do you approach uh, kind of integrating your SNC and and conditioning work with the actual tactical, you know, making sure that you have the energetic resources to continue
1: to get better at the actual sport? Absolutely. So to take things back a little bit in college, uh, my senior project was all about the physiological demands of grappling sports specifically for jujitsu Jitsu and wrestling. And what was great about just working through that project was I had known from, if you want to say like a bro science perspective, that being stronger makes you a better athlete. Um, but I didn't have much evidence or I had plenty of evidence that came from outside sources that weren't necessarily in academia or didn't, weren't part of peer reviewed studies, but doing that project, just further confirmed the importance of, okay, when someone does get stronger, And there's a lot of different ways that you can do that. When someone does get stronger, they're less likely to get injured across all sports. And in a sport specifically like jujitsu, where not only are you not trying to get injured, the point of the sport is to uh, threaten injury to your opponent. Um, The submissions that we're doing, the strangleholds that you're doing are all designed to inflict some sort of discomfort or some sort of threat of uh, tissue injury or uh, lack of blood flow to the brain. And so obviously the injury rate for a sport like that is much higher than say a sport like golf or basketball where it's non-contact. Um, and so seeing that there's, okay, there is a lot of evidence to support that getting stronger will help you decrease the risk of injury. Not only that, but there's also a ton of evidence to support that getting stronger is going to help you perform better within context of the sport, right? If you spend so much time strength training and developing strength, that you have no time to further work on your skills. Okay, well, now you're at a skills deficit. But at the end of the day, and this is something that uh, I thought of, you know, looking at those memes, there's a meme of a guy sitting at a card table and it, it says some statement. And then underneath it says, change my mind. And, and some of the memes and strength and conditioning have been, that have used that template have been fairly creative. Um, and that prompted me to think of this, the phrase of, okay, well, no one really ever, lost because they were too strong and no one ever really got injured because they were too strong And especially in jiu-jitsu where there is this really weird uh culture that kind of bashes the use of strength or there's a stigma associated with using strength or there's a misinterpretation that if you use strength that obviously means that you're at a deficit of technique which neither of those things are true There are plenty of examples of people being extra strong and having very poor technique and having small amounts of success. But the higher up you go in the echelon of the sport and you look at the top guys, everyone has incredible technique and everybody is focusing on getting stronger and getting in better shape. And those guys that implement strength and conditioning that way, they're in the sport for the longest period of time. Uh, Andre Galvao is a great example. He just, uh, he had his last ADCC super fight against Gordon Ryan last September. That guy has been at the top of the sport for well over a decade. And he is, uh, had lots of videos and talked pretty openly about his strength and conditioning routine and the importance that it's had on not just him performing better, but also longevity. So to circle back around to your original question, kind of how I look at implementing strength and conditioning for jujitsu athletes, it all comes back down to those two principles of no one ever lost a match because they were too strong no one ever got injured because they were too strong and the most important thing that a grappling athlete can do off the mat to improve their performance on the mat would be to get stronger a lot of times jujitsu jitsu athletes think like oh i'm not performing as well and i'm getting really 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 tired really fast so i should probably focus all my extra time off the mat on conditioning and conditioning definitely has its place But it shouldn't have its place at the expense of your strength training oftentimes grappling athletes will think like i'm I'm just going to keep training i'm just going to spend all day at jujitsu i have time in my day to get three training sessions in and i want to make all three of those training sessions jujitsu focused which from a skill development standpoint is incredible but it is a little bit short-sighted and you are going to run into some issues down the line when you're no longer able to recover from that type of workload unless you build a foundation of strength unless you increase the base of that pyramid if you will louis simmons one of the greatest strength coaches who's ever lived he has an amazing quote where he says a pyramid is only as strong as its base and so if we look at the pyramid of performance the peak of that pyramid the height of performance that a grappling athlete can have is all going to be determined on the base of fitness the base of strength the base of physical resilience if you will that is underneath them to support the work that needs to get done for them to reach that higher peak. And so everything that we do, at least with my company and the, the athletes that I work with, uh, specifically in the sport of jujitsu, is to make sure that they are getting stronger. That way they're most importantly, just more resilient and they're less likely to get injured, but also getting stronger to help enhance whatever technical qualities they're working on while they're training the sport on the mat.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. So. It- you've got me thinking here can we so let's separate size muscle growth and strength for a second they're obviously very very tightly correlated for sure um, but if you were to just as an example you know i don't know how this would happen but if you took a jiu-jitsu athlete and put 20 pounds of lean tissue on them. And for some weird reason, it did not uh, come along with any increase in strength. They were just 20 pounds bigger, Uh, provided they didn't have some drastic, you know, impact on their endurance. um, That athlete would just be harder to deal with on the mat.
1: Absolutely. Just that size.
0: Can you kind of because you've had a lot of exposure to the sport? Can you just walk through practically on the mat for Jiu Jitsu athletes? What that looks like? What the advantage of just
1: having size has? Absolutely. In any combat sport, I think in what's jujitsu is a double-edged sword because it originally was popularized by Hoist Gracie in the UFC, who was obviously a much smaller athlete, subduing and submitting much larger athletes. And that worked until the big guys started to learn how to do jujitsu on a defensive standpoint. And then it worked even less when the bigger guys knew how to use jujitsu from a defensive standpoint and offensive standpoint. And we really saw that with uh, the fight between Hoist Gracie and Matt Hughes. Matt Hughes was so freaking jacked as a welterweight back in the day. For anyone that's listening who has been watching the UFC for a long time, you'll remember that Matt Hughes was the king of the 170-pound division. And when Matt Hughes and Hoist Gracie fought, even though they technically uh, weighed the same or were part of the same weight class, you could easily see that Matt Hughes was just a larger human being. He was bigger. He had way more muscle on him. He just looked, uh, dense. He looked kind of like a superhero, if you will. And hoist grace, looked like he was just a standard, you know, fit, uh, decently athletic guy and taking, you know, taking out all those other contexts, if you will, that, that you had mentioned in jujitsu, the goal of jujitsu, when you're grappling with someone is to establish positional control. That's going to lead to a submission. The way the sport has evolved that has kind of gotten lost in some forms of competition where more more and more people are looking to play the points game where it's less about controlling your opponent but more so about moving around your opponent as much as possible through a series of positions that are going to award you points rather than establishing positional control and then leading to a submission and if someone outweighs you by 20 pounds and you're on bottom position, that's 20 extra pounds that you have to deal with on top of you. If you're in good shape and your technique is is on point, sometimes that 20 pounds is, is not gonna bother you that much, but we can't say that it's not important at all or else we wouldn't have any weight classes. There wouldn't be weight classes every, you know, I think it's every 10 kilos in some organizations. And we've seen it before where they have the open weight division at some of these jiu-jitsu tournaments, which means that anyone of any weight can sign up. And the guys that typically win those open weight divisions are much larger than the smaller athletes that enter those divisions. Doesn't happen every time, but it definitely happens the majority of the time. And so simply just being bigger and having more lean tissue and just being a larger athlete means that not only are the, not only is the weight discrepancy going to be a little bit more of a challenge for the smaller individual, but having more of that lean muscle mass on your frame just means that you're a little bit more armored up, if you will. For those listening, I'm using air quotes, but the more muscle that you have, the more padding that you have, you're just a little bit beefier. You're able to take impact a little bit better. You're able to withstand some of the stresses of training just a little bit more, mainly because you have more armor or muscle mass surrounding all your tissues and joints, and this is not even getting into the conversation of how that muscle mass is being used when it comes to force production, when it comes to, um, being able to stabilize certain joints and, and all the other things that come with having more muscle mass, but having more muscle mass and being a bigger jiu-jitsu athlete, it, there wouldn't be weight classes if it wasn't, uh, if it, if it didn't mean anything, if there, if being a bigger jujitsu athlete wasn't advantageous, then it would be open weight competitions all the time. And it really would come down to, okay, who has better technique? And the thing is with technique, jujitsu, uh, at the end of the day, and this happens, you know, in a ton of sports, but it does come down to just thinking of physics. Okay. So I need to do this position to create this lever, to get this result. I need to apply force in this way, using this type of frame to get this result and and anyone who's who's taken high school physics will know the more mass that you have opposing those things that requires more energy. Especially if you are a smaller person, the bigger that person gets, it takes an exponentially greater amount of energy. The bigger that person gets, which over time can wear you out a little bit more, and over time make things much more difficult uh, for yourself being a smaller athlete.
0: Yeah, it's it's funny because I think every sport has this appreciation for strength and size and jujitsu kind of falls in this narrow space where I get where it comes from, because it's true that you could 160 pound black belt is often going to run into a situation where they're submitting guys that are much larger than them um, due to skill. But you can't argue like that size. Is, I, I was with um, Satnam Singh a few weeks ago. He's a former NBA player. He's like 7'5", 380 pounds. And that's an extreme example. But I think sometimes extreme examples help people kind of, I'm just like, picture what you're going to do to that guy. How are you going to maneuver and and control position with somebody it, regardless? I asked him if he did, if he was interested in doing jujitsu, he didn't know what it was. Um, but I just, I laughed because I'm like, he doesn't even know what that is. And if he walked in somewhere, he would give everybody a hard time because you can't even get around him. And that's like you know that's an extreme example but i think the appreciation for for 20 pounds starts to go a long way and most people have the ability to put on 20 pounds of mass Mm -hmm. depending on where you're at in your career so we've got we we have kind of the size portion down i think you kind of brilliantly broke that down as far as strength can you get into any specifics of the role that strength plays actually tactically in the sport um yeah. Of jujitsu.
1: Absolutely. I've said this before and it's become like, a this, a quote that I just repeat. Cause I think it just, just cuts through a lot of the noise about the strength versus technique debate. And it's that the stronger you get as a jujitsu athlete, it's only going to help enhance whatever technical qualities you already have. So if you're a jujitsu athlete that from day one has spent a lot of time and intentionality refining your technique, refining your skills, making sure that every guard pass is positionally perfect. You're not just rushing through techniques because maybe you're a little bit faster or maybe you're a little bit heavier so you can compensate for inefficiencies in your technique. But getting stronger is only going to help enhance whatever technical qualities you already possess. So if you're someone that has crap technique and you get stronger, you still got crap technique. And the minute you come across somebody that is at a comparable strength level as you that has way better technique, you're going to get smoked pretty bad. However, if you take your time on the mat, making sure that you are slowing things down when you need to, to, you know, improve your technical qualities, getting stronger is only going to exponentially ramp up the effectiveness of all those techniques. And I think a great example, um, given we're currently in the middle of a hot debate versus, natural and, and unnatural athletes in jiu-jitsu between Gordon Ryan and, and Nicky Rod. But besides the point, I think Gordon Ryan is an amazing example of this. Gordon Ryan was an incredible jiu-jitsu athlete who would consistently enter in tournaments where he was the smallest guy or go up in weight classes that he had really had no business being a part of. And his technique and uh, tactics on the mat were so good that he was able to submit a lot of these guys. The issue became that he was getting banged up a lot because these guys were much larger, even though he was winning, it still took a toll on his body. And so we saw a pretty amazing transformation where he was able to pack on, I don't know the exact number of how much muscle he put on, but he gained, I'd say, I'd safely say, probably around 20 pounds of lean mass over the course of a year and a half. And when he had his ADCC debut, he had an amazing performance. He ended up winning gold in his weight class, taking second in the open weight division. And you could instantly see, okay, that here's a guy that came in with amazing technique and was doing fairly well, and then he got way stronger, and now he's doing even better. And to circle back to the original statement, getting stronger doesn't mean that your technique is going to be worse. Getting stronger doesn't mean that you are going to lose some of your technical qualities getting stronger is just going to enhance whatever technical qualities you already possess. And if you have great technique, good for you. If you're getting stronger and your technique is still pretty trash, well, you should probably work on improving your technique a lot more because it's only going to make you a better athlete in the long run.
0: So, okay. So we've got the, the size and the strength portion down now getting directly kind of into the specifics of BFR. What initially kind of piqued your interest or uh,
1: made you start to think about applying that in your sport? To, to be completely honest with you, man, it was the first thing that piqued my interest was just all the stuff coming out about how it can get you more jacked. I come from uh, a bodybuilding background and uh, I did one bodybuilding show before I started jiu-jitsu and I'm just, at heart, I am just a meathead. And so before I even really looked at all the practical applications it has for jiu-jitsu athletes, all you had to tell me was like, hey, this will help you build a little bit more muscle. Uh, this is used by a bunch of top-level bodybuilders, and that was good enough for me. And so that's initially what piqued my interest. And I knew that there's a lot of uh, evidence to support those benefits. But when I really started to look more into, oh, this is a great way that athletes can use this particular type of training to recover faster from injuries. This is a way that athletes can improve their blood lactate threshold. This is a way that athletes can uh, improve their lactate buffering capacity. Those things really got me interested in learning more about how BFR training can be used specifically for jujitsu athletes. And kind of like what we talked about at the beginning of our conversation, the insane pump feeling that you get the first time you do jujitsu is very difficult to replicate anywhere else and if you can replicate it it's often at a huge cost uh, energy-wise it takes a ton of work and it can leave you pretty banged up afterwards and so once i learned more about bfr and was able to get connected with you guys it was great to see that okay blood flow restriction has all these practical applications mainly it's going to allow you to build more muscle which Building more muscle can help you lay a greater foundation to develop strength in the future. That's very important for jujitsu athletes. It can also allow you to maintain strength without having to put yourself under the insanely heavy loads that you would normally need to maintain strength. And that right there, I think is a benefit that doesn't get talked about enough specifically for jujitsu athletes. When I work with jujitsu athletes, a lot of them are competitors. And I structure their training very specifically to make sure that they make the most amount of progress possible leading up to competition, but then make sure we pull back on some of their training so that way they go into the competition feeling fresh. Doesn't matter what you did for the last, you know, eight weeks of training camp, if the very last week of training camp, you're so smoked and so exhausted you can't perform well. And BFR has just been an awesome thing to throw in towards the end of training camp where we can focus on maintaining some of that strength by using a much lighter percentage of their one rep max on say something like a zercher squat, a deadlift, a floor press, but we're able to get a similar stimulus that allows them to maintain that strength and recover much faster. And then the other thing um, that I think is great about BFR, even though it hurts the worst, I would say, is the lactate threshold training that you could do when you are using BFR cuffs. Blood lactate threshold for those who are listening in and maybe unaware is a
0: brief pause. If you're enjoying the BFR podcast and want to learn more about BFR training, we've put together a free BFR ebook for you. The comprehensive guide to BFR training covers everything from basics of BFR physiology to benefits, protocols, research reviews, and more. You can find a link to download it in the show notes or directly on our site at saga.fitness. All right, let's get
1: back to the show. Essentially your RPM meter that you have in this body that's like a car. So if you're driving a car, you can you know, operate at a decent level of RPMs. But if you get in, if that ticker goes into that red zone, it's gonna be bad news if you stay there for too long. And your blood lactate threshold is essentially that. Your body uh, produces lactate. When you're doing physical activity, that lactate releases a hydrogen molecule, which the more of that it releases, the pH in your blood becomes more acidic and that creates that burning sensation that you get when you're performing physical activity. That burning sensation begins to increase because you're doing so much physical activity, your body can't keep up with buffering lactate to prevent that burning sensation from coming on. What's great about BFR training, this is a big thing that I've been doing uh, for myself and, and testing with a lot of my athletes, is using blood flow restriction training as a way to increase blood blood lactate threshold which if you can increase blood lactate threshold in jujitsu the feeling that you get when you're trying to finish a choke and your arms are burning out improving your blood lactate threshold will basically allow you to do more work at a higher work rate for longer periods of time before you actually end up hitting that red line mark or go too high on those rpms and end up gassing out And so there's been just so many amazing and practical uses for BFR training, specifically for jujitsu athletes. And it's been amazing, including that in my own training and the training of some of the athletes that I work with.
0: That's, I think, something that is probably not well appreciated enough. We've we've started to try to communicate this through all of our channels on a kind of an unspoken benefit of BFR is the time constraint portion. Where, like you said, your athletes, some of them want to do three sessions a day of jujitsu, like where are you going to fit in additional work, you know, and uh, supplementary work. And if you're, if you're talking about that lactate threshold training, how quickly you can get there and with how much less mechanical work is huge for jujitsu
1: athletes. Absolutely. Absolutely. And what's great is that the BFR training is, is dependent on it's all contextual on on how you're using it and how long you're you're doing it for but i found it so much easier for athletes to recover from the bfr training than some of the other standard forms of training we would use at other at other points in their competitive prep if you will when we're eight weeks out 12 weeks out 16 weeks out they're so far out from competition that if they go into a jiu-jitsu session a little bit banged up or a little bit sore, it's really not the end of the world because we're so far out from competition. It's just part of the process. But as we get closer and closer to competition, where we want to make sure that every session that they do on the mat isn't hindered by anything we did in the gym, BFR provides a great way for us to do that, where we can get a high stimulus training session, whether it be focusing on um, improving blood lactate threshold focusing on getting tons and tons of blood flow into a damaged joint or tissue that they're currently recovering from. We can get in a ton of work, or I should say a very high stimulus training session in a very short period of time that they can in turn quickly recover from. So that way they can continue having great skill sessions on the mat. And it's just been awesome being able to include BFR training as they get closer and closer to comp.
0: Do you notice the impact? Like when you're saying a lot of times there's a less of a fatigue element, um, from your strength training in particular, do you, do you think some of that has to do with, you know, joints, connective tissue can take a little bit longer to heal than muscles do. And that the sport itself can be fairly rough on the, the joints and connective tissue. Um, do you, do you notice that in some of the athletes that you work with maybe less
1: complaints on joint stress from training? I would say, anecdotally, yes. Um, I think there's as a coach, this is the the battle that I have. Some athletes are are very wise and aware of when they feel good, they do what they need to do to continue feeling good, and other athletes. Um, and I think this is this a lot comes down to different personality traits. Some athletes feel good, so they think like, "There's my green light to push it to right up against to the edge again." which sometimes results in feeling a little bit more banged up. Maybe they feel so good that they think, okay, I'm gonna let my arm hang out there a little bit longer than I really should. Um, So to answer your question, yes and no. I I think what's great about BFR, and like you said, with being able to not have as much uh, tissue or, or wear and tear on some of the joints and on some of the ligaments and tendons and things, which BFR does an amazing job, of being able to prevent a lot of those things is that it does help athletes feel better going into those training sessions. And then, kind of vice versa, if an athlete feels better and they push things a little bit too far or they let their arm hang out there a little bit longer or don't tap maybe as soon as they should, BFR gives them a great option to get back into training. This has happened quite a bit, uh, especially for things like elbows and knees, where an athlete will come in and let's say, like, Hey, coach, um, I'm feeling good today, but I'm not going to lie. Like my arm, I got my arm messed up, you know, training yesterday. And if we had something on the spreadsheet that we've been planning for several weeks that says, hey, you're going to do this floor press and you're going to work up to this percentage. Well, now that plan has to go out the window because their elbow is compromised. Normally before the introduction of BFR, we would just have to say like, okay, well, you go out in the corner and you do your... You know, your banded tricep pushdowns and all that stuff. But now, what we can do is we can implement the BFR training and say, okay, this is your projected one rep max that we were going to go off of. Let's just aim for about 30% of that. You're going to have the BFR cups, cuffs on and just spend some time getting, you know, let's do a simple three to five sets of five reps at around 30% of your one rep max that we would have hit today if you were feeling healthy. You'll do that with the BFR cuffs on, and then you can move on to the rest of the workout from there. And that way we can still get some of a solid stimulus without further subjecting those damaged tissues to loads that maybe they aren't quite ready for just yet.
0: Makes a lot of sense. Can you walk through, like, I guess, getting into the weeds a little bit, how you apply, like if we're, if we're talking conditioning specifically uh, what would an example kind of lactate
1: threshold training session look like under BFR? Absolutely. So as we talk about conditioning and for any Jiu Jitsu athletes listening, it's important to note that the majority of your conditioning training is going to happen on the mat. And so the things that Steve and I are discussing are going to be supplemental to the work that you're already doing on the mat. This is not to replace any of the conditioning that you're doing on the mat. Um, you can do that if you want, but it probably wouldn't be the best best option for you. But what I've been doing in mixing in some of the lacto- la- lactate threshold uh, training is we kind of do it in two different steps. In the preseason, we'll often do uh, lactate retention training and BFR has, uh, is just perfect for that. And so essentially what we're doing in the preseason where they're 16 to 24 weeks out from competition. The goal of that is to improve their, uh, the body's ability to handle those higher levels of lactate buildup and become more efficient at buffering that lactate without being able to take a full rest. So for those of you who know what the assault bike is or any sort of fan bike where you're moving your arms and your legs, if you crank on that thing for 45, 60 seconds, your legs are going to be burning pretty bad by the end of that and you could easily just step off and just walk around the gym kind of breathe a little bit get your heart rate back down and your legs are going to cool off a little bit maybe within you know 60 seconds if you're in really good shape maybe a little less than that that's awesome but in jujitsu if you experience that feeling you you don't have the option to just stand up and walk around for 60 seconds and then go back into the match a lot of times you feel those burning sensations when you're holding a specific position and unless you want to give up that position you work so hard to obtain, you have to maintain that position. And when you're maintaining those positions, it can be really, really hard for the body to buffer lactate and get rid of that burning sensation that you're feeling. And so, in the preseason, we'll do lactate retention training, which we will do a couple different uh, versions of this. But one version with BFR is you can just jump on the fan bike or the assault bike. That thing is is one of my favorite and least favorite pieces of equipment just because of how uncomfortable it is. But where it lies in discomfort, it definitely makes up for in an effectiveness and a, uh, efficiency. And so we'll do usually around six to eight intervals of 45 to 60 seconds. And you're pushing at a pretty hard pace, but you want to maintain the highest work rate you can over the course of those 45 to 60 seconds. If you go, you know, guns blazing right out the gate and you can sprint for 20 seconds, but then you just tank for the remainder of that time interval, you're not getting necessarily the same effect. So you wanna work at the highest rate you can over the course of those 45 to 60 seconds. Use having the BFR cuffs on while you're doing that is great because it allows a ton of blood to flow into the working muscle, but it actually is going to prevent blood from flowing out of the working muscle. And that creates a hypoxic or low oxygen environment, which means that that burning sensation is going to come on really, really quick. And because you have that cuff on there, it's going to trap a lot of that blood in the working muscle. And your body has to quickly get used to not just withstanding that burning sensation of, of being in that hypoxic environment, but also has to become much more efficient at buffering lactate without relying on the ability to just, you know, get up, walk around and kind of shake things out like you normally would if you didn't have the BFR cuffs on. So that's one way, that's one way that we've used BFR training to help improve blood lactate threshold, specifically with that lactate retention training model. And then the other thing too is I've seen at least for myself as I've been playing around with a lot of this stuff is that in uh, the accessory exercises that we do, both in camp, out of camp, preseason, if we just throw on the BFR cuffs for like any time we uh, we call it our jacked and tan work, where at the end of the week, excuse me, at the end of the week we have about <clears throat> sorry about that, uh, at the end of the week we often have like the last session of the week, 20 to 30 minutes where it's just like, let's just get freaking jacked. Let's just give into that, uh, the inner meat head and all of us that just wants to do curls and tricep push downs and stuff. And throwing BFR cuffs on during that section of training has also been great for uh improving blood lactate threshold in a similar effect you're allowing a ton of blood to flow into the working muscle without allowing blood flow out of the working muscle you hit a set of tricep push downs followed by a set of curls you have an insane pump but you're not able to compensate for that pump and just you know shake things out like you normally would which has a great transfer and carryover to jiu-jitsu athletes where a lot of times you're on someone's back you feel like your forearms are blown up you feel like your biceps are blown up because you're constantly hand fighting looking for chokes, but it's going to help improve the body's ability to in those positions where you can't just step away and fully recover. It's going to improve your body's ability to recover while you're still performing some form of physical activity or still hanging on to those important positions in jujitsu that you just work so hard for.
0: How many sessions, and I, I understand it's going to be uh, unique to probably each athlete, but on average, like how many resistance training sessions, uh, and maybe some of these Additional kind of conditioning sessions outside of the mat. Are you looking at
1: per week for athletes um, on average? For myself, I currently train three times a week. And the athletes that I work with in person, I have a small crew of guys that I work with in person. We all train three times a week. Um, I tell all jujitsu athletes. That's probably the most common question I get is how often should I lift? And my answer is always the same. Just lift as many days as you can, just as long as it doesn't negatively impact your jiu-jitsu training. And I've been working with Jitsu athletes and wrestlers for the last six years. And I'd say across those six years, most grappling athletes are gonna fit best within two to four days of strength and conditioning work. There, I can count on one hand uh, the amount of times I've worked with an athlete that performed really, really well on five or six days of training. And that was a little bit of a different case because they were, um, their work schedule and their training schedule just didn't allow them to get in that much jujitsu training. So we made up for some of those training sessions by doing a little bit more. But on average, I'd say two to four strength and conditioning sessions per week is where grappling athletes can have a lot of success uh, in that. And then as far as which of those sessions have conditioning components to them, the way I train uh, myself and with the athletes that I work with in person, we're lifting and doing strength work or some component of strength work every session, but about one or two sessions a week, we'll end the session with some form of conditioning that can look like some of the lactate retention training that can look like, um, a, just different forms of conditioning, depending on each athlete's needs or depending on where they're at in their competitive season. But the majority of the work is spent on building strength and then we'll sprinkle in one or two conditioning sessions, uh, within those days of training.
0: How do you generally separate those out? Cause like the the strength kind of athlete in me thinks, oh, you prioritize your time in the weight room and then go do jujitsu later in the day. But you know, forgetting that these are jujitsu athletes at heart. So um, are you, is it kind of dependent on the day? I'm sure some days on the mat are less strenuous than others and much more technically focused. Um, But are
1: your sessions normally, how do you normally split that up when you've got two a day deals? For myself and the athletes that I work with, uh, we train in the morning and then five or six hours later, we'll go to our, at least it's my only jujitsu session. Some of the other guys are training twice a day, but we'll lift and then have a decent enough break for us to get in plenty of food. Some guys will take a nap, uh, take a walk, be able to fully relax and then go into our jujitsu training session. And I've seen a lot of people have a lot of success with both options, lifting, then Jiu Jitsu. And a lot of people have had a lot of success with doing Jiu Jitsu first and then lifting. When people ask, which one should I do? I've found in a lot of cases that there's a little bit more benefit that you could get by doing your strength and conditioning training first, mainly because your strength, if you're you're a Jiu Jitsu athlete and Jiu Jitsu is your number one focus, your strength and conditioning training shouldn't be so insane that it constantly is leaving you blasted and fatigued going to jujitsu. If that's the case, and you maybe need to make some changes into your training or alter, or alter your schedule a little bit. But with most of the jujitsu athletes that I work with, I, I don't want to say that we don't work hard because we definitely do, but we are paying a lot of attention to how fatigued they're getting in their strength and conditioning training sessions. They may be a little bit tired uh, after those strength sessions, or they may be a little bit fatigued, but they're not going to be so blasted that they can't perform well at jujitsu. That's something that's very important to look out for when you're doing both of those training sessions in a single day. The other thing that's important to note is that, um, all of your training, uh, in the gym is to help you be a better jujitsu athlete and so the point that you're training in the gym becomes too intense or the volume which is the total sets and reps and exercises that you're doing the minute that that becomes so high that it begins to have a negative impact on your jujitsu training they actually start going backwards and so there's a lot of times where uh, as a coach i've had jujitsu athletes that you know they said that they were like oh i don't know you know. I don't wanna be sore for jujitsu and I don't wanna to be too fatigued for jujitsu. So will start them out real conservative and maybe only do two sessions a week. That's right before their jujitsu training. They train jujitsu Monday through Friday and we have them lift you know, for 45, 60 minutes on Tuesday, 45, 60 minutes on Thursday. Then they start to get in better shape. They increase that foundation of fitness that we talked about earlier. And then they start thinking like oh dang like i'm feeling pretty good and i'm recovering pretty well i have my sleep dialed in i have my nutrition dialed in what can we do about maybe doing one more session okay let's add a lighter session on saturday where you're only lifting and you don't have to you're not going to jujitsu that day you got family stuff going on and so it does a lot of times come down to okay how in shape is the athlete can the athlete is the athlete at a place where they can lift and then several hours later Go to jujitsu and their lifting isn't so intense or isn't so fatiguing that it's going to negatively impact their jujitsu training because uh, at the end of the day they're competing in jujitsu they're not competing in powerlifting they're not competing in bodybuilding and they're not going to do the nfl combine i mean it'd be, it would be sick if there's a jujitsu combine but there's not so everything that we do in the gym needs to serve and benefit them for the purpose of being a better jujitsu athlete and the minute that it doesn't that's when changes need to be made
0: yeah. I think you've done an awesome job at kind of hearing the way you've broken all this down. I think athletes, whether or not they have a background in strength conditioning, will be able to kind of auto-regulate their training and kind of pull bits and pieces from that. It's like at the end, you know, Hallmark, the, the centerfold of sports science specificity, like we should either yep. be training the thing that we're trying to get good at, or the underlying systems and structures that support that thing. And I think you've you've explained well how size and strength support the jiu jitsu athlete. Is there anything else that, that I'm missing here that we haven't gotten into or any
1: thoughts around BFR specifically, um, as, as it applies to the sport? No, nah, man, I, this has been an amazing conversation. And I, I think what's amazing to see is that through the stuff that we've been able to, to do together is more and more jujitsu athletes are starting to, uh, have a, a mindset shift. I, I've, I've been doing jiu-jitsu for a while and I was involved in wrestling for a long period of time before that. And the weird thing about wrestling and jiu-jitsu is that wrestling was very accepting of any new way to get stronger. And it's like, we can get stronger and take more people down and drop them on their head. Sweet, like we're all about it. And you bring the same information to jiu-jitsu. And for a long time, uh, the jiu-jitsu community was just very resistant to a lot of those things. And what's been awesome about seeing what you guys are doing at Saga and something that I've been working very hard for over the last six years is to get this big mindset shift to be more accepting of strength and conditioning because if more people in jiu-jitsu can get stronger. And by getting stronger, that doesn't mean that they need to be Mr. Olympia. That doesn't mean that they need to be a world record setting powerlifter. One of my uh, mentors uh, is Mark Bell, who uh, was an all-time world record holder in powerlifting. He's literally one of the strongest people who's ever lived. And so I'm not saying that just because I come from that background that people need to squat 1,000 pounds or try to bench 500 pounds, but as simple as being able to go from doing eight pull-ups to 12 pull-ups, as simple as going from I can floor press my body weight, now I can floor press my body weight and about like 10 15% extra, all of those little improvements in strength go such a long way in a sport like jujitsu where the goal is to literally submit your opponent and do everything make them do the opposite of what their body was designed to do. You're bending their elbows back farther than they were originally designed, you're turning their shoulders inward way farther than they're originally designed. And so with a sport that is so focused on dealing physical damage, it's very, very important that we do everything we can to be physically resilient. And that is not even getting into the the context of being competitive i'm super freaking competitive and i want to see more and more uh jiu-jitsu athletes that i work with just smash brackets and 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 just win at, at everything that they compete in and getting stronger is one of the best ways that you can enhance your athleticism so that way you can be a better athlete that can train more that can apply the skills that they have in the sport to a greater degree And so this conversation has just been absolutely amazing and i love what we've been doing together to help kind of start this shift of jiu-jitsu athletes being able to recognize like okay getting stronger doesn't mean i'm going to be slow getting stronger doesn't mean that i'm going to be inflexible getting stronger doesn't mean that i'm going to lose all my technique getting stronger means that it's actually going to help me win more matches and get injured less
0: well man you're you're leading the charge in that and uh a model for it as well you're jacked yourself if people find you on, on Instagram and some of your platforms. Um, but man, this has been awesome. Uh, appreciate your time and, uh, kind of getting to pull from, from the brain of somebody who's got experience and in both of the worlds that we're dealing with here. So thank you again for coming on. Thank you, Steven. It's been a
1: pleasure. Awesome.